Good evening. Hey, we got a little extra time, so I'll make sure to keep you late. I'm just kidding. I got to go after a little bit, so we won't be here too late. Tonight, as we come together, we are going to remember King Solomon. And as you go back and you think to King Solomon tonight, I'm going to draw in what might have been his obituary. If you were to go back and you were to look at his life, King Solomon was born around 1010 or 990 B.C. So about a thousand years before Christ, King Solomon comes on the scene. Now he was born to his father, King David, and his mother, Queen Bathsheba. Knowing the story there, knowing what, what takes place, we can remember all the story that surrounds his birth. Now King Solomon was preceded in, his, in death by his father, King David. You look at 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 10, and we see the account of his death. In 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 10, surrounding this time, we have a brother that has kind of tried to take the throne. You can go back and we see that as David gets older, he is not able to rule as he once did, but we see in 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 10, that after he had served for 40 years, that David passes from this life. You look down at verse 10, it says, So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Now David, being a special king in his own right, was known as one that was after God's own heart. Now Solomon was another special king, and he also was in trouble for some other reasons. Now, as I mentioned with Adonijah, Adonijah was a brother to Solomon who also preceded him in, de in death. Now, the problem is Adonijah's death took place because of King Solomon. Look at 1 Kings chapter 1. We will look at 1 Kings and... Second Chronicles quite a lot, so go ahead and get your fingers out and get them ready and hold, hold your place there. First Kings chapter 1, look down at verse 5. It says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, 50 men to run before him. Drop down to verse 43. We still see him on the scene. It says... Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The reference came back. Adonijah finds out, Oh, well, it's not you after, after all. Adonijah had tried to place himself in position as king. Now, understanding the, time of, the times of kings, there was often problems if there was a threat that was felt because someone wanted to take the throne. Now this is going to turn out to be the case. If you drop down just a little bit there in 1 Kings, look down at verse 50. It says in verse 50, And Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the thorns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not have put his servant to death with the sword. Then Solomon says in verse 52, If he proves himself a worthy man, 
You notice as you get to the New Testament, there's a lot of times that the word if is used. Regarding our promise, regarding uh, things that are coming to the future, he says, if you do this, you will receive this blessing. Well, here, Solomon says, if he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth, but if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, go to your house. Now, this is just the beginning so Adonijah's been shared, he spared, he's going to live. His life can be long as his brother rules on the throne. Now you get to 1 Kings chapter 2 and we're going to kind of switch gears because Adonijah makes an a odd request. 1 Kings chapter 2, you get down into verse 21. Now Adonijah had went to his mother or went to... Uh, Bathsheba to ask sorry Adonijah goes to goes to request uh, you might say the handmaid of David so as David was dying he has uh, a young lady come to care for him before he passes and you get down into verse 21 it says so she said let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah your brother as wife and in verse 22, King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. For him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zariah. So we have this request that Adonijah requested the, the handmaid, so to speak, the caretaker for David near the end of his life. And Solomon says, no, that ain't right. There's no reason why that request should be made. And so the agreement that had been made so that Adonijah could live is going to be changed. He's going to be put to death. And now on this occasion, as we look back at the life of Solomon, preceded in death, uh, Solomon... Uh, has his brother die before him. Now, Adonijah had requested uh, the king's handmaid and, and it wasn't to be, it wasn't allowed. Now, as you look at the life of King Solomon, his reign is not going to begin until around 970 B.C., now, this 970 is just like the other number. It could go a little bit to the closer time and it could go to a little prior but somewhere around 970 he uh, begins his reign and he's going to reign for 40 years until his death you can look back at first kings chapter 11 verse 42 and we see there that he reigned for 40 years now as you look at solomon in a normal funeral you would consider the obituary and there would be many people that survived beyond his life uh, as I think about Solomon, you know, we don't know exactly who the survivors were. We know he had a son that continued to live. It, it is recorded that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3. Now, how many of them continued to live and who had passed before he passed? I have no idea. But we know that when you come to the facts of Solomon, he had a bunch of wives and a bunch of concubines and uh, no doubt plenty of heartache came with that. Now, when you talk about Solomon, 
As any good author, you would love to talk about the books that he has written. Solomon was well known for writings as you look at the Proverbs. You can look at the Ecclesiastes or the Song of Solomon. He's also known, it was very likely that he penned the 72nd and the 127th Psalm. Now, we don't have time to talk about that much tonight. It is kind of up for debate whether or not the adjective is uh, a psalm to Solomon or a psalm of Solomon or for Solomon. Uh, but either way, he's referenced in both psalms. We can understand that it's, it's possible that he was the writer uh, on both of those. So, you've got Psalm 72, Psalms 127. You look at Proverbs. Proverbs is just a vast a vast book of wisdom that we can learn much from. You go to Ecclesiastes, we've got all his life experience. You go through his life experience and he says, look, this is everything I tried and uh, it didn't work out real well for me. He comes to the end of his life and he says, guys, put God first. That is man's purpose in life. You go to the Song of Solomon and you see uh, his love poem as he writes it there, um, very likely, Song of Solomon was written in his early, earlier age, is what is generally agreed upon. Proverbs, after that, of the, mirac the miraculous, the, the wisdom that was given him by God. And then finally, Ecclesiastes, most likely, more than likely, after all his life experience, he's coming upon the end of his days, and he looks back and he writes Ecclesiastes, and he comes to the end and says, Guys, I finally figured out what life is all about. It took him his lifetime, but he gets to the end and he tells us what's most important. You look at 1 Kings chapter 11. I'll give you this one for just a second. Another book that was either an uh, autobiography or it was a biography... Uh, whether it was about him or written by him, 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 41 makes reference to a book. And here it says, now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? Well, I don't have it to give to you and I don't have it to read for you, but another book about Solomon, the acts of Solomon. All right. As I was talking to Kevin before, before I got up here tonight, he said, well, are you speaking about Solomon? Oh, yes, yes, we're going to talk about Solomon tonight. He said, well, I've got an idea for you. He said, you should title it The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. As we look back over the life of Solomon, we see the beginning, we see the end, and now let's look at the dash, everything that makes up the middle, uh, everything that makes up the life of King Solomon. If you were to ask me, Solomon is well, most well known for that of his request of wisdom. He had a grand opportunity that, look, we're probably not going to experience, but we'll go ahead and look at Chronicles accounts here. Uh, there's verses, there's an account of most things in Chronicles as well as in 1 Kings, but this time we'll look at 2 Chronicles. If you flip over to 2 Chronicles, we're going to begin in chapter 1. And I would keep a finger there if I was you, as we will flip back and forth a little bit. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 6, it said, and Solomon, and Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings. First off, we see he was interested 
in godly things. He was spiritually minded. Go down in verse 7, it says, On that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give to you? Well, we see this occasion likely came because of his, uh, his spirituality that's being shown, the gift as he comes before God at the altar. We see he's got a desire uh, to do godly things. Drop down into verse 8 and 9, we see Solomon was given a request. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Notice in verse 9. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be, re, be, be established, for you have made me king over the people, like the, earth, like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge the great people of yours? He said, how am I able to properly rule? How am I able to reign as king over your people? Recognize who he says they belong to. Understanding that we're all children of God, he says, God, your people here, the children of Israel... He said, we need you as rain, we need your wisdom. He said, grant me wisdom. You can also refer to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. You see the same example shown there. Now, all people knew Solomon for his wisdom. It wasn't just us. While you're there in 2 Chronicles, you can flip over to chapter 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 22, it says, So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches... And wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. It went a lot further than just the locals. Everybody knew about Solomon, they knew of his wisdom. Along with his wisdom came great riches, and everybody desired to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon. You can look there and 2 Chronicles chapter 9, drop down just a little bit further in verse 25. said, Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots, 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. So he reigned over all the kings from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. Notice in verse 27, the... The bountiful, the, the prospering that took place in this nation didn't just take place for King Solomon. It says in verse 27, The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. It says in verse 28, and they brought horses to Solomon from Egypt and from all lands. We see, see all sorts of gifts coming his way. It was so, such a prosperous nation that he refers to, to the, the beautiful cedars as being just as another tree. He refers to the, to the precious stones or the silver as just regular old rocks. He says it was abundant. So... With his wisdom, we see also came great wealth. But here's the problem. Solomon, with his wisdom, didn't always use it to translate to obeying God. Very wise, 
He had all wisdom in regards to, to manners, but sometimes he didn't practice that wisdom that he had. As you notice there in 2 Chronicles, we see that he's bringing in all these horses. In fact, you can go back to 1 Chronicles. Let's look at what it says there. In 1 Chronicles, just a little bit earlier, chapter 1, Too many places to keep my finger. All right. First Chronicles chapter 1. Whoop. I got you in the wrong spot. Second Chronicles chapter 1. Apologize. Second Chronicles chapter 1, it says in verse 14, And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Also the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. Sound familiar? Verse 16, Solomon had horses, listen, imported from Egypt in Kiva. The king's merchants bought them in Kiva at the current price. They also acquired and imported from Egypt a chariot for 600 shekels of silver. And a horse for 150. Thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So we see bringing in all these chariots, bringing in all these horses, bringing in all this wealth. Notice what the law said in regards to what's taking place. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Now, I won't make you hold your finger in Deuteronomy because we're not going to be there much. But in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God had warned about this. All that great wisdom that Solomon had was not used in obeying the law. But as the riches came in, he began to take advantage of it, so to speak. So you go down to verse Deuteronomy chapter 17. We'll start in verse 14. It said, When you come to a land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. He says, you shall surely set a king over whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren as, shall, as you shall set as a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he, he who? The king. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Notice in verse 17. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Now it almost seems that within Solomon, in all his wisdom, it is just about like he read Deuteronomy chapter 17... He says, and your kings, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. And instead of taking it as a to-do list, he made it his to-do list. He made it his effort to do all these things that God said not to do. Don't multiply wives. Check. Don't go and multiply chariots and horsemen. Check. Don't go back to the city. Don't go back to Egypt because we have no part with them. He said, check. 
He said, don't multiply to yourself silver and gold. He said, check, check. Uh, as you look at Solomon, it's almost as though he and all his wisdom, you see the transition that's taking place. Kevin mentioned the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, we're getting into some pretty bad stuff. Even as wise as he was, he wasn't choosing God. Now, as I think about the wisdom of Solomon, one last thing I want you to recognize is the, the story of the two harlots. I would say Solomon is probably, as, as far as stories go, most people would recognize, remember growing up, hearing about the two harlots. Go to 1 Kings chapter 3. I remember as a little boy learning the story for the first time and thinking, that guy's crazy. Would he really do it? No, teacher, don't let him. Don't let him. That can't be so. First Kings chapter 3, let's see, see as it unfolds. Verse 16, now two women who were harlots came to the king and they stood before him and one woman said, oh my Lord, this woman whom I dwell in the same house and I gave birth, and gave birth while she was in the house. Or I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. We were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the middle of the night because she laid on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son, whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but that dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. They lay out the story. They lay out the storyline, and you see, as I think about the, think about the story as it's unfolding, you know, Put yourself in his shoes. Like, what can you do? It's like, no, there's no way that a mom was so tired that she fell asleep and didn't even feel you take her baby. And it's like, well, possibly. You go, well, how could it even happen? Now, if I take the child from this mother, it's the wrong, wrong mom has it. If I take it from this child, the, this, the child from this mother and give it to the other mother, then it would be the wrong child. But Solomon, in all his wisdom, verse 23, the king said... The one says, this is my son who lives and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead and my son is the living one. So I don't think it's quite so easy as you just look at him and be like, well, the child looks like his mother, okay? We're talking very young, uh, hard to figure out. And besides that, when they're real young, a lot of times they look like dad anyway. So I don't know how it works out. Verse 24, king, the king said, King Solomon, bring me a sword. They bring him a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one, half to the other. Whoa, that ain't right. Then the woman whose the son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. For, but the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, divide him. We'll both take him and go our way and we can cry together. We know how it turns out as Solomon obviously understands 
who the Father is. In his great wisdom, he was able to uh, decipher. He was able to be a judge. Now, if you don't learn anything else about Solomon, learn about this. When Solomon was young, and he's beginning to take the reign, he's, he's taking the reins, so to speak, as the, the driver of Israel... He begins to reign as king. He takes his father's place. He's to continue his father's bidding, his father's doings. Solomon chose to pray for wisdom. When God said, make your request, Solomon said, give me wisdom. Now, a lot of blessings came his way because of that. But today, understand, as you look at the new law... God tells us to let our desires be made known to Him. What's on your heart, give it to God. Your request, let your request be made known to Him. But if you look at James chapter 1 and verse 5, He says, if any of you lacks wisdom. You know, to a certain extent, I feel like I should ask, do you, do you lack wisdom? And it better be every hand in here goes up. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If I can tell you one thing that you really need to learn from Solomon, pray for wisdom. His life was literally changed because of the request that he made when he was young. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And it says, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. You go on to verse 6 and 7, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Expect it. He says, God gives it liberally. He says, don't be a doubting person when you ask for it. He said, if you're one who doubts, you're like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You just go wherever you're pushed. For let not man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If you're that man that is driven by the wind, and don't hope for anything. But as I think to Solomon, he spoke on behalf of wisdom. In fact, as you look at Proverbs in his writings, uh, Solomon's wisdom was shared with the world. I look at Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, for the Lord gives wisdom. He knew where it came from. He said, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. What's he saying? Get your act right. Live for God. Wisdom can be yours. Drop down to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he We'll direct your paths. I encourage you as you go throughout this week, read through Proverbs. Pray for wisdom. And expect that it will come. All right. Point number two. Solomon is well known for building the temple. We won't look at it much, but David recognized there was nothing special about the Lord's house. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 1, he's like, I live in a fancy house and I come in here to this tent where the ark of God is kept. 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1, David recognizes this and says, something's got to give. 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 11 and 12, 
David's making this goal or this purpose of building a house for God, but he couldn't. It would be David's son is the one that was going to be the one who would build it. You can turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, we see the the issue. It says, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his enemies. You notice within within Solomon's request for wisdom, what happens? Everybody starts to come to see about his wisdom. They want to hear. We've got this time of peace that to a certain extent likely came through the request that Solomon made through God's divine plan so that they could have peace. Verse 9, Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son. And I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. You get down to 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1, and Solomon begins the building of the temple. Go over to 1 Kings chapter 5 and in the preparation of building this great temple we see all the resources going into it. 1 Kings chapter 5. Let's just look at some of the workers real quick. It says in verse 13, Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel and the labor force was 30,000 men. Now these are just the ones that are going to get the cedars of Lebanon. He sent them to Lebanon 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. It says Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. He's the the overseer. He's the boss. Now notice verse 15. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. Besides this, there were 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. We see that this is quite the undertaking. As far as a task goes, I mean, we've got all hands on deck. Verse 17, the king commanded them to quarry large stones with costly stones and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temples. So Solomon's builder, Hiram's builders, and the uh, Gibelites quarried them and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. All right, Solomon begins the building of the temple. In preparing the temple, you look at 1 Kings chapter 5, We see all the labors put together. You drop down to chapter 6 and verse 2. It says, Now the house which Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, its width 20, and its height 30 cubits. As you you go through, I came up here and I looked around, and if you go to the edge of the rock over there and the edge of the rock over here, just a little bit wider in the platform, we've got the width of the building. You go for the length and we've got... If you started back at this corner of the building and you went over here and you said... uh, You said... uh, Andy, stand up. Somewhere in Andy's area is about the length of the building. Go ahead and stand up, Andy. They're all wondering where you're at. There he is. All right, somewhere between that, that, that corner right there. And if I was guessing, Andy is probably at 88 or 89 feet, according to my tape measure. All right. 
You go through and you talk about this magnificent building, and I'm like, man, we've got a pretty big building anyways. But when you talk about the height, it far excels what we're talking about. As you look at the back wall, and you go up and you see them working in the back on the sound booth, up above them, if you went all the way to the ceiling to the floor, you're about half, half the height. Okay? So you double the height of the, the ceiling in here, and we've got pretty close to the dimensions that are given. So we've got this great building, and although it's not very wide, as we look at the front, we see the height is, is something that's massive. It's grandeur. All right. We've got the, the temple laid out. We recognize its beauty. We recognize its prominence, and we recognize God's hand as he gives a servant the task. All right, we're going to close up real quick. Solomon is known, finally... For the ugly, his way of living. Song, Song of Solomon, as I mentioned, was very likely written when he was young. As he writes of his love poem. Being the wisest man that would have lived. I'd say probably still to this day the wisest man that ever lived. No doubt Solomon was the most or the best qualified person to write Proverbs. Speaking from wisdom's sake. And then we get to the, uh, the Proverbs and we see all the practical instructions for a prosperous life. You want to be prosperous? Read Proverbs. You want to have a good life? Read Proverbs. You want to enjoy wisdom? Read Proverbs. You can look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. I'm not going to look at it tonight. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. Proverbs 11, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. If you'll read the whole chapter, the whole book, throughout this, uh, this next week, you will learn much about wisdom. Near the end of his, his life, Solomon writes Ecclesiastes as a reflection back over his life. Jordan read earlier Ecclesiastes chapter 1, including verse 3 and 4, and he says... What profit all this work? The labor of my hands, what, what good did it do? He looks back over everything he did. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Well, I've given myself all these pleasures, but it was vanity. He said, I had all the, the wine that I could desire in chapter 2 and verse 3. It was vanity. He built himself the greatest, the grandest building projects of anyone in the land. Verse 4 wasn't anything. He had the largest gardens that were beautiful and bountiful and everybody would have known of Solomon's gardens. Verse 5. He had large pools of water that he had to build because he had these vast gardens and he says, I built it all and it's, uh, it's vanity. It's nothing. He said, I had many servants. Verse 7. It was nothing. I had much treasure. Verse 8. It was nothing. Get down to verse 17, he says, All my labors seemed pointless. Didn't profit me anything. You go back over his life, and we see that he adds in all these wives, likely as, as a way to add to his peace with all the kingdoms. In Ecclesiastes, he refers to, he says, Anything my heart's desired, nothing was held back from it. He said, I had absolutely everything I wanted. And then we get to the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Listen close. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
you learn something from Solomon, learn first that you can be wise too. Turn your life over to Jesus. And if you want to learn something even more important from Solomon than just wisdom, the most important thing that you can learn is the only purpose that you have as a human being is to fear God and keep His commandments. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I ask you, why not? That's what fearing God and keeping His commandments is. Understanding the purpose for which Christ came into the world to give His life so that we could have hope. Are you willing to turn from sin knowing that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you willing to confess Him before men? Based upon that fact or that decision that you're ready to turn your life over to Him, no doubt you'll have the desire to be buried in water, to rise, to walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I beg of you, make that change and make it tonight. Please come as we stand and sing.